0: Oktoberfest revealed, Monster Bash Remake revealed, Sea Witch Remake revealed. Hi, my name is Jonathan Houston and with me is Martin Ayer from Pinball News and welcome to our monthly update of the events in the pinball world over the past a couple of weeks, or four weeks, I guess, which would be taking the us back October.
1: month of October, to... uh, that's what we call it, yes. One. And it has been quite an exciting month, and we say that every month, but this month really has been an exciting month, because it was Pinball Expo month. It was, and a lot of things happened
0: during Pinball Expo, some of them to do with Pinball Expo, and some of them around Pinball Expo.
1: Right. Um, I wasn't there, but you were, so I guess this will be your time to shine oh uh yes well okay
0: let me talk about pinball expo first of all then um i was vaguely involved in helping uh, rob burke with the reboot of the pinball expo show now that mike paysack was no longer involved with it um i gave some kind of advice to rob uh had met with him a couple of times uh, suggested things which uh, could be improved, and suggested also some uh, some of the equipment that they could do with buying for the seminars to make that a little more um, a little more uh, up to date, shall we say, when it comes to the technology, rather than trying to you know, have a an old VGA projector running uh, 640, 480, and analog, and stuff. I so get a get a nice HDMI one, full HD, you know, big screen, all that kind of stuff, and. Um, so that's that was uh, that was the extent of my involvement prior to Pinball Expo, and I was also discussing some of this with with David Fix, who was uh, looking after that side of things uh, to make sure we had the equipment that we needed. Um, but Pinball Expo um, rebooted this year. There was a lot of extra effort going going into it, and um, and I believe Jonathan, you had an interview with um, Rob Burke shortly after Pinball Expo had finished to talk about. Uh, all the uh, the way it went basically, and lessons learned, and how Rob felt about the the uh, the reboot, and all the all the all the credit I think that goes to the the people who who worked so hard to make it um, really quite an a, an excellent show. Is, right. is that correct?
1: That is correct. You want to switch to that now?
0: Uh, we'll, we'll come to that in a minute, I think. Um, but sure. this year. When it first started, it looked like the the seminar schedule was going to be a little bit thin on the ground. But over the past few weeks, uh, or the weeks leading up to the show, it really padded out and uh, became a, a really packed schedule and um, with some 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 great seminars, well, they're all great seminars in fact. and um, that provided me with a, quite a lot of work as well. I'll talk about that a little bit later but now might actually be a good time to to um to hear from rob um because this year's show was was certainly i think a, a success it was deemed by everybody to be a success with a with a very positive atmosphere and vibe to the whole, whole thing um, it, it cut out some features from previous years which which were maybe not um, as popular things like the banquet on uh, saturday evening Extended hours for the games hall, Um, more vendors this year, more games to play. And um, the show actually officially finished on Saturday rather than trying to to pretend it carried on to Sunday when Sunday was always just like a a teardown day really and there were hardly any games to play and all the vendors were were basically packing up and ready to to ship out.
1: Which still is something that I don't understand because I think they're the only pinball show that is not doing anything on Sunday except for finishing the tournaments.
0: Uh, there, there are other shows which which, um, which don't do it on on Sunday as well, and in, in deference to all those people who brought games and and the vendors themselves who, who basically want to get back home on Sunday. And people do travel a long way to Pinball Expo, being the, the big show it is. So if they can pack up on on Sunday morning or even Saturday night, as some of them do, um, and and move out, then that's that's cost effective for them. And I know you know some of them, even uh, the people I was sharing rooms with. They were, um, they didn't stay beyond Saturday, so they actually left Saturday evening. Yeah.
1: Are you referring to who I oh, think you're referring to?
0: Yes, our, our good friend and, and permanent caller, um, Gary Flower, um, he he certainly was one of those people who left on Saturday late afternoon, early evening. And, uh, no, because the hotel's not, no, not cheap, it's I think it's about $140, $150 a night. So if, if you can leave um, and not have to pay an extra night at the hotel, but still enjoy the whole day of Saturday at the show, then that's definitely a worthwhile saving. And, what uh,
1: a cheap bastard. Uh,
0: <laughs> well, as you said yourself, the only reason really to stay beyond uh, Saturday is no, for the true, talk. that's true. Um, and, um, basically, that, he
1: told me, because he called me as well, the stalker that he is, Um he co- he told me that he was too tired to stay. Well, not tired enough to get a room to sleep in, obviously. But
0: um, yes, he was um, he was getting a, a ride back to Milwaukee. I know, um, and it you know, he it, it's not just up to him; it's up to who he's getting a ride with as well. So uh, it made perfect sense to sure. to not, not pay for an extra night, just so they can leave first thing in the morning. Oh, hang on, my phone's ringing. Is that Gary? I have no idea. It is. It's Gary. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if I should find out what it is he wants. Gary uh, maybe I should. No, not Gary Stern. Uh, Gary Flat. Oh, he- oh, I missed it. Oh, he's wrong. Oh, oh, I'll call him back later. I know what it was. He does it, it
1: all was. the time. He call- it at the most inconvenient moment. He,
0: he must know we're doing a podcast. He must have some kind of secret camera hidden somewhere, either in your place or in my place. I think place. you I hope it's and not mine. My...
1: Go back such a long time. That must be a telepathic.
0: Um, yeah it's true yeah, yeah we had this link you know you must know that uh we, we were thinking about him and uh, he called i'm sure he called again uh, maybe even during this podcast prog- oh we left voicemail oh that's nice all right the tournaments are therefore not taking place in what's virtually a, a, a vacuum you know n- there's no show to support them at that point so it's only those those players who were there there's no there's no crowd other than the tournament players themselves watching uh-huh. so they can they could maybe work out a way to to finish it on on Saturday, uh, make it more of a spectacle, have more people there, uh, incorporate it into the show a little bit better rather than it just being a sort of standalone event um, out in the hallway, and um, and also you know televise it or or broadcast it around the hotel, have it on one of the. Uh, Something suggested to me you could have it on one of the the hotels tv channels internal tv channels so people can watch it from the hotel room um it, it can have tv set up around um around the hotel so you're always reminded that this is going on have proper overhead cameras commentary or that kind of thing going on you know make it, make it a, a big spectacle because it's it's a big tournament and you know, the the prize of a brand new stern pinball machine and there's there's big cash prizes out there as well so um although it's a it's an incredibly well run tournament, it just needs that extra sort of boost to the profile of it to make it more um and make it appeal to people who you know maybe don't not even know aware that that's going on in the hotel and right. and those people outside who couldn't make the show so they can see what's going on. You know, there are people there um with their phones doing sort of Facebook live type thing, but I think we've moved on a bit since then, and the, uh, with the since Papa TV sort of kicked it up a notch. Uh, and we can we do a proper commentary and proper coverage, overhead cameras, split screens, all that kind of stuff. And uh, that's the kind of a tournament which would certainly benefit from that. It's big enough. It's got all the top players there. Well, most of the top players, anyway. And um, it's a very high. It should be a high-profile event, and I think it's kind of just lacking that bit at the moment. But uh, that's something that can easily be addressed. But um, that's part of wrapping it up into Pinball Expo and making just giving Pinball Expo a a bit more boost as well
1: Um, Okay, so let's hear what uh, Rob Burke has to say
0: because
1: Rob uh, sent me an email with some uh, uh, after uh, uh, post expo uh, facts um, which is actually being discussed in the uh, little talk that we did so let's listen to that right now
2: well it, it exceeded all expectations Congratulations on that. uh, Yeah, the uh, amount of positive energy in the air. And we heard this from a lot of vendors, too. They just said it felt different this year, and it it was alive, and a lot of energy and excitement. And people were just glad to be there and happy to be there. And uh, just all had positive results. Good. The vendors were very busy. We had you know, very big crowds this year, so that was uh, almost a, like a turning the light switch off around. It was just a complete change from what we've had in the past.
1: Right. So, um, any personal highlights for you?
2: Um, just seeing the show as I had always envisioned it could be, to see it a reality and uh, see everybody so... Um, just a, a, a warmth, a general warmth feeling throughout the whole group, from the attendees to the vendors to to the speakers. It was just just the positive vibes.
1: Okay, cool. Um, any things that you think like okay for next year? We can still improve on this or that area, or are you like, no, this is the way we're going to do it next year?
2: Yeah, good question. You know, you always strive for perfection, so there's always room for improvement. And um, we'll work in that. You know, we had some suggestions, which, of course, we'll take into in mind. And uh, next special special year, because it'll be number 35, so we're going to try especially hard to just, really take it to the uh, over the top
1: right okay now obviously the uh, the expo isn't a one-man show um you're the main organizer but obviously you had help
2: yeah and and that's that's a good point jonathan because you know my wife stepped up in a big way but more than that i had two new uh uh chairman at the show and i didn't know what to expect but uh they just went over the top, and, and that was uh, Dave Fix, who handled the, the um, exhibitors or the vendor area, and and Rob Craig, who handled the uh, free game area and, and the games that were brought into the show. I reached out to Rob because he had been our speaker several times at Expo, and I always liked how well he presented himself, handled himself, very thorough and detailed in, in his presentation, so I reached out to him and asked him if he would come out of semi retirement and help me with, with the expo. And he he agreed to do so. But Rob Craig brought a real true um lust of, of enthusiasm and, and excitement and, and uh organizational skills that a lot of it probably he developed, you know, from doing his own show many years ago. But actually, you know, he's also a he works for the university so, you know, he's got that skill set that You do something, you do it right, and you research it, and you put a lot of time and effort into it. And it really showed on his part of it. So he was really excellent. Dave Fix was terrific um, because, uh, you know, just his communication skills were great. And several times he was under heat to get things done, to move things around, to change things. But he was calm and collective under the collar, and he just did it quickly, quietly, and it just, it worked. As a a group, all of us, you know, worked very hard, but these guys were over the top and really um, handled their positions extremely well. Okay, excellent.
1: You also had Roger handling all promotional uh, aspects of the show. How did that turn out?
2: Well, it was interesting, Jonathan, because not only did I use Roger, but I also uh, had a local... (coughs) marketing person that I found in in the Chicago market. And Roger was great as far as spreading the word through multiple um, press releases and interviews that he had done. But I also used another person that I just kind of discovered late in the game that came forward to me and offered her services. And she was able to get me new spots on WGN, which is the local Chicago newspaper, uh, Chicago TV station, I think it's a CBS or Fox, I can't recall the hand, but she also got me on, on a live segment Saturday morning at 6, 6.50, so I was on TV there in Chicago on ABC. They had me do a 10-minute, or I think about a five-minute interview on that station. Right. So, um he really helped get some exposure for me. We did billboards this year. So the exposure was just out of hand. It was just out of sight. And that helped us reach new numbers, record numbers in attendance. And um, I think between that and the social media and the other efforts we made collectively, um, as, as you saw on, on that uh, text message, I think, through the email, I sent you, you know, we reached a new high on, on vendors and uh, uh, whatever else I showed him, it just, it just everything was just over the top, I guess is the best way I can tell you.
1: Right. 43 vendors this year, um, 323 pinball machines. That is absolutely a, a record for in Pinball Expo because I've see, been there mm-hmm. at years that I think there were hardly 50 pinball machines. So that, well, that's it
2: wasn't that bad. I, I think the lowest figure I would remember is below 200. But yeah, uh, 323 on the pinballs and 114 on the videos. So combined, you have over 400, you know, uh, horn-operated machines on the floor at, all at one time. I mean, it was just crazy.
1: Right, so uh, largest attendance in uh, two date, which is great. And, um, uh, well, you, I think uh, there were three pinball machines to be given away to uh, uh, people attending. Uh, or playing in tournaments and uh, and all that kind of stuff. That's always
2: uh, great. Right. We we had a raffle there for for a new Deadpool game. We had uh, Dan Spoiler from Project Pinball. He had a uh, an auction going on, a charity auction going on to raise, I think, ten thousand dollars for his charity. Right. So we had that machine. I mean, it was just um, there was something everywhere going on. It was just constantly. Plus, we had the twenty four hour game room. And that was buzzing all
1: night. Great. So um, obviously Expo is over, and people are looking already at next year. So uh, uh, Is next year's show is it going to be in Western uh, again? Yeah. In, in Same, Same
2: hotel.
1: Yes. Same yes. hotel. Okay.
2: It's just that you know, it, it, it was a, a, the, the results were above any expectations they had. And, uh, you know, we just want to keep the positive energy going
1: forward. So there you have it. Rob Berg of Pinball Expo uh, after the show. Very happy how the show went. Uh, Very appreciative of the people who helped him organize the show. And um, obviously next year is going to be the 35th edition, which is going to be even bigger than this year's edition. So that's definitely something to look forward to. I think so. there was, There was
0: certainly a big push this year to to give a much higher profile and and to cab more machines, more vendors. Um, basically, he, he, Rob took over the the whole space that was available um, on the from the hotel. There were no rooms that were booked out to anyone else or or not booked at all. So there were so, no
1: bar mitzvahs or weddings going on in houses? Uh...
0: Absolutely not, and and no, no vacant rooms. You no, know, no, no other rooms were could have been booked out or just left vacant. Vacant. So everything was was used, and and the space was was absolutely filled with with games, vendors, and uh, seminars. So uh, congratulations to everybody involved in the organisation of
1: that. Okay, so um. Not exactly moving on from Pinball Expo, but at Pinball Expo we did see two new games from uh, uh, two different manufacturers, um, so that this sort of tied in with Expo. Um, let's start with American Pinballs, October Fest. Yeah,
0: Yes, October 1st, Pinball on Tap. Um, the details have been revealed um, of the of the title and a little bit of the artwork at the Vancouver flip out. Pinball Expo, as as we reported last month, and right. you and I were both there to see that. Um, as um, uh, uh, Nermal and um, um, Joe Balser, Joe Balser, it. I was trying it. Joe, I couldn't could work at his surname again. Yeah, Joe Balser um, revealed at, at their seminar. Um, so we knew what the title was, knew a little bit about the artwork, but um, just before um, Pinball Expo reveal took place. I was able to go to the American Pinball Factory and uh, have a little tour and see what they were were working on there. And, of course, that included Oktoberfest, um, as well as the um, continuing manufacture of Houdini, which is um, coming to an end fairly soon. So... There was an email recently from American People saying, if you want to get a, a Houdini, get your order in now, because it's about to stop as they move over to full Oktoberfest production.
1: Right. Um, so they're not going to be doing like Stern, That they, if there's a demand for 50 titles, that they run do run another 50 titles? Well,
0: they're not committing to that at the moment, I, I imagine, if, they, uh, if the orders came in. They wouldn't be averse to, to putting some more on the line, uh, they can definitely do that. They have that flexibility, right. but they are saying, you know, they don't have any more planned production at this moment. Right,
1: um, of, and uh, they, d- they do have to worry about uh, moving the whole facility.
2: As
0: well. well, yes, that was uh, that was one of the things that we saw when we were looking around the factory and um, and seeing how they how they make hoodie at the moment. We also from there went to a couple of other buildings one of which was Amtron, which is, uh, I think it's probably fair to call them the parent company. It's, it's family owned and it's where they make a lot of printed circuit boards using uh, both surface mount components and through hole soldering uh, for various industries, some defense, some amusement and coin-op uh, boards and other businesses as well. Um, but the reason they, they took us to that was to see the kind of culture that they have in that parent company and the way that they, they sort of lay out the factory and they have everything worked out and, and everything's very clean. The, you know, the floor is, is spotless. Uh, they they know how to build circuit boards. And although they didn't want to name any names of companies, they have and do make, pinball, uh, sorry, make circuit boards for other coin-op companies now and have in the past as well. Right. Um, but uh, we don't want to get into
1: the details of exactly who they made them for because they don't want to talk about their customers. But um, well, we all know that CERN used to be a customer of them. I'm not sure whether they still are, but in the past they were. That's correct. Yeah, I believe they were. Um, but from there, we
0: then went to another factory, which was, um, well, it's, a, it's another building. It's not a factory. It's, it was actually a moment. It's a, it's a warehouse that's used to store uh, the supplies for a, a sort of party hire. So they have tables, chairs, tents, marquees, um, gazebos, um, catering equipment, all that kind of stuff. It's a big building. It's full of this stuff. But this company is moving out. And the reason they're moving out is because that's where American Pinball are going to move to. And at the moment, it's absolutely full of party stuff. And in the back area, there's a, a kind of slightly more spacious area, which is having a lot of maintenance done to it. But that's, that's going to be where their third production line goes uh, when American Pinball move in. Uh, and the third production line is going to be used for boutique um, or low-run or custom projects rather than the two production lines they're going to have in the main area, which I guess would initially be you know for doing Houdini and Oktoberfest and whatever the third title will be. So they'll, um, they'll have two lines there which they can run or, you know, if, if uh, any of those games become that popular, run the same game on both sides, on both lines. But the interesting thing was we were there, you know, mid-October looking at this, this factory, and they were very, very confident they would be in there making uh, Oktoberfest games before the end of the year, which um, seemed a hugely daunting prospect to me. But, you know, they, they're kind of a company which thrives on tight deadlines, getting Houdini ready for um the uh, Texas pinball festival in march um getting oktoberfest ready for pinball expo in october um it's kind of, it's that's that's what they do they have, they set themselves very tight deadlines and they always they have hit them so far and they seem to have a, a, a very very professional team behind them who can who can push that through so that was the um, that was the look behind the scenes at american pinball right uh, uh, but at the reveal itself we had um a couple of machines there, which we which are the ones we've seen being built in the in the factory itself. And um, I have to say, it's a very bright, very colourful, very um, very entertaining looking game. It's it's full of fun. It's it's almost, although the title is like Oktoberfest, you can probably think of it more as like a fairground type game yeah. along the lines of um, Hurricane and Comet and um, Cyclone. Yeah. yeah, those three. Um, but brought more up to date with um, with, uh, with LED lighting and um, more features on the playfield as well. Um, right. I'm sure you have seen pictures, or if not, you will be able to. And um, it's um, it seems to be no not so much about the drinking, although they have had a few. Well, one particular problem related to the artwork, which I'm sure y- you've um, been following, Jonathan.
1: Well, yeah. Um... Um, I probably should watch what I will be saying about this because this is apparently a very sensitive uh, subject. Um, The art on the game is done by uh, Jeff Bush, just like uh, Houdini, but it's a very different uh, style. Um, And on the back glass is uh, one section where there is a uh, monkey picture who is apparently grabbing two women, uh, one with each uh, of his hands, uh, under their skirts. Um and that caused a little bit of commotion uh being politically incorrect and so on um yes, I can see why people would say that on the other hand if you see monkeys um uh, uh, in the um uh, um uh, if they are at parties or whatever that's usually what they do <laughs> <laughs> so in in that sense I mean there's plenty of um uh, videos on youtube of of women um uh, holding a monkey and the monkey is grabbing their boobs um so apparently it's not that unusual but i'm not saying that it's okay or not okay i'm just saying that's apparently how monkeys respond when they get near women um, or some monkeys, um, but apparently the artwork is going to be changed, and that section is going to be replaced with something else.
0: Yes, I think American Pinball have seen the the backlash or the reaction to that, and done a sensible thing and said we'll we'll change that. Um, it maybe it wasn't a, a wise idea to put that in in the, the first place. Right. Um, so, yeah, that's. But you know, if that's that's the worst thing that people can uh, criticise the game for, then well, I, uh, I don't think we've got too much to worry about. I haven't played it, but did you? Uh, I only had a very brief flip on the game because, um, being Pinball Expo, um, I'm pretty busy doing other things, um, doing many other things actually. Um, but it 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 seemed to the, the few flips I had, it seemed to seem to be quite a nice flowing game, um, and it also has um, this these double flipper buttons as well, uh, which allows um, in normal play. The second flipper button on the right-hand side allows you to operate magnets, um, two magnets, one on the, on the right orbit and one at the top of the right orbit, to grab the ball, either to drop it onto the upper-right flipper, a bit like uh, Roller Games does, you know, with the don't-flip-flip flip thing. Yeah. Only it's manually controlled rather than it being automatic. Um, and also, you can grab the ball and uh, when it goes over the top rollover lanes, and then drop it into the rollover lanes from there rather than letting it go all the way around the orbit, but they also intending to have this other feature which is Operatrix, um settable, but it hasn't it isn't actually a mode yet in the game, but it might be like I said where you can actually use one button to do the left flipper and the other button to do the right flipper so you can operate the entire game with one hand such that you can use the other hand to hold a beer or a drink or whatever. Yeah. It. hm. Uh, yeah. so, mm, it's a it's a new feature and that's never been seen. So that's innovative. Um, whether it will actually be playable that way, it'd be, be quite good for for fun tournaments and and parties, I guess, to play one-handed pinball that right. way. Right. Um, so that's a that's a new feature which they put on the game. And um, yeah, I don't think there's a, an awful lot more I can say about it other than the prize has been announced at seventy-four hundred, I think U.S. dollars.
1: Yes, Um, which
0: includes art blades. Yeah, absolutely. In other words, internal cabinet artwork, which uh, which looks very nice and makes the game even brighter rather than having black sides to it, lightens the whole thing up. So I think that's very good. And um, it's due to start production shortly, I think. Um, I don't think the software is finished yet, but as we've seen before, that doesn't necessarily stop anybody uh, releasing a game. Right. and um I think it'll be a be a very popular title for them it's um it's light it's fun it's um you know it's the title might put people off but I think once they play the game and once they get the feel of it they' they'll, they'll probably change their mind a bit you know it's in that in that sense it's probably a bit like dialed in where the title may not have led you to to understand what the game's about but once you get your hands on on the flipper buttons and start playing it you'll you'll see how well it plays.
1: Right. So one thing, um, um, usually uh, we, we report what happened, but uh, I can't help but think of uh, a great opportunity for this game uh, and for American Pinball, probably. I mean, uh, while it is being themed currently as Oktoberfest, basically it's uh, you could also see it as, like you said, a generic festival-themed pinball machine. Uh, but there's plenty of other festivals that... that could be uh, interested in having a pinball machine branded around their festival, and then all you need is new artwork and a new name, and you change a few modes, and that's it.
0: True. Yes. Um. The game is is based around uh, visiting. I think it's twelve different tents. Fourteen. Um,
2: Fourteen yeah, is, it? is it?
0: Okay. Um. And then collecting, basically collecting the tents as you as you go around. So yes, they could be. They could be festival tents. They could be, you know, music festival tents. They could be comedy
1: festival, you know, any arts festival tents. They don't need to necessarily right. be. I mean, so if, be South, uh, for example, South by Southwest, if they would like to have their own pinball machine, American Pinball is like the place to go. Uh, re-theme Octoberfest, and there you go. Good point. Yeah, you should, you should suggest that to them. I probably will.
0: So so that was um, Octoberfest pinball on tap, right. Uh, at Pinball Expo, there was also a, another um, another new game, and new as in a remake, revealed, and this time it was by Chicago Gaming. Right. Uh, it's, it wasn't exactly a surprise. Monster Bash had been, uh, had been announced, in fact, as, as being their next title to be remade, following on from Medieval Madness and Attack from Mars, so the third Williams Bally title. Uh and a few leaks had come out about um, bits of the game, like the topper and things like that. But um, again, we uh, were fortunate enough to to visit Chicago Gaming uh, just before Pinball Expo and see the factory and see them making Medieval Madness. Uh, sorry, Medieval Madness, Monster Bash, I should say. They, um, one of the things, we're talking about Medieval Madness, one of the things they did say was they are not planning to make any more Medieval Madnesses until the, I think it's the third or fourth quarter of next year, which will okay. be the last run they're planning to do of them, okay, um, so... unless there's significant demand. So if you want to get a, a, a medieval Madness remake, uh, snap it up quickly while it's still at the distributors. They did have lots and lots of Attack from Mars' in boxes um, stacked all around the factory, all with serial numbers printed on them. Um, little tags on them so um, unfortunately we weren't allowed to take any pictures because they were in the process of um, making um, Monster Bash and they didn't want any risk of that leaking out until they'd made their own uh, reveal
1: yeah okay um what I wonder is if you have that many games in stock and um, Chicago Gaming is not the only company that has apparently many games in stock. No. Um I tend to think of that as a bad sign because it's inventory, um, it's games built, but not sold. It is, but I think they,
0: they think the demand for Attack from Mars is strong and ongoing. So they don't want to be... They want to be building... Um, Monster bashes at the moment, and they don't want to be, you know, have that interrupted by having to build more attack from Marses as the orders come in. The orders they expect
1: right. to come in, and so they probably got- also had to keep the the factory busy uh, oh, while Monster Bash be- being uh, delayed, as it was for almost six months or more even. Quite so they can keep building the games, so and it's it's quite a small production line they have going
0: there. Um, so they don't want they don't have the capability to run two games at once, or at least not in any 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 sensible way at the moment. So they they want to co- concentrate on doing Monster Bash at the moment, as as indeed they have been. So uh, when we were in the factory, there were probably uh, I guess um, twenty to thirty Monster Bashes right that have been that were being built and being completed. You know they they. They weren't. Um, they weren't short of the ability to build them. What they were short of the ability was uh, to sell them, because it hadn't been hadn't been given the full licensing permission yet. But um, that was actually the licensing, not from Planetary Pimble, but from um, the the owner of the Williams brand, Scientific Games, because right. uh, apparently Scientific Games are undergoing a bit of a a, uh, a uh, how, can I, how can I describe it a um, an organizational reshuffle at the moment as as regards their management structure so their concentration was not on approving the licensing deal with right. uh, chicago gaming so but um so it took a lot longer than than was uh, expected but they they did get it and um so the game was was revealed at at Pinball Expo, there were uh, I think three one of each model on the show floor. There, there was the uh, the classic edition, the special edition, and limited edition. Right. And uh, I have to say, um, when I was in the factory, they didn't have this in the, on the show floor. But in the factory, they had had the machines next to an original Monster Bash, and um, the original Monster Bash looked very dim and dull and and yellow and and old by comparison. Uh, and the new one, um, the lighting effects they put in, into it are uh, far superior. They, because they have RGB, GI lighting throughout, right? right? So they can they can vary the colour of the playfield at any point. This is even on the on the uh, standard edition, on the on the on the classic edition, I should say, right? CE version. So now when you when you hit the dracula targets for instance you know there's a big flash of red goes across the play field and when you start dracula the whole play field goes red so all the all the feedback you get is a lot more enhanced and um,
1: a lot more direction. and the
0: play brighter yeah it, yeah it gives you more of a positive response when you when you achieve something right. um, then uh, previously on the other game you might hit the dracula targets unless you look at the display you might not even notice whether it's registered or not but now you hit, hit the targets, and there's a big flash of red across the playfield, and it's obvious that that's been sensed, and yeah. you've added letters. So it's yeah. Yeah, positive feedback. It's very good.
1: Yeah. Uh, um, I do have a question. Um, we, uh, at the um, uh, IEPA show in Amsterdam, um, a um, uh, distributor of uh, Chicago gaming that I happen to be talking to mentioned that the game uh, was likely to have to uh, game modes being the classic game mode the, the, with the rules that everybody knows and um, uh, a new and improved game mode um, with maybe different rules, I don't know. Is that also the case or was it just the, the standard rules as we know them but enhanced? Um, no, I don't think that
0: is true. I don't think there are any enhancements to the standard rules. The game is, it plays as the original uh, there are no extra features added, in as far as I know, or extra modes, other than enhancing um, the lighting and display effects. Um, and that's just on the, the display effects are just on the uh, on the upper two models where they have the higher res versions of uh, some of the animations, and um, and they'll see colour display as well for those things. Uh, right. as I actually asked Doug Dubar about that, and he said they they weren't they have no intention of or had. No intention of um, creating an, any other version or any other rules
1: for the game. Right. Okay. So um, I did take a look at uh, some of the comparisons of the um, uh, the display animations, um, which on the the special edition and the um, limited edition are uh, high res, so to speak. Uh, obviously, it's a larger display, but they basically divided each original pixel up into four separate pixels so they have a uh, a higher resolution and it looks like they even redraw most of the uh, of the animations um it looks very cool to me yes so well. uh, they haven't they haven't done
0: all of them I, um I, I didn't get a chance to talk to doug about this specifically because i don't think he's necessarily across exactly what they do um, to high-res or to, to up-res, um, the, the, the graphics on the game. And they obviously do redraw them. It's not just a simple case of rescaling them, because they obviously colour them as well. So there's extra work in that. But it seemed to me, just from, purely from observational um, comparison, that it seems they any displays which are, shall I say, dynamic, are they're not necessarily always the same. If they've got a score or a value or something like that associated with them, which will change depending on what you do in the game, mm-hmm. they are low res still. Right. But the, the higher res ones are the more fixed animations, the ones which don't change each time. You know, like the the mode starts, that that kind of thing, and, yeah. and getting a replay and an extra ball, you know, they are they're always the same no matter what happens in the
1: game. Right. So right. those right. are the high-res I mean, Frankenstein ones. Frankenstein with a uh, with pen and all that kind of exactly. stuff. Exactly, yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, unless it ha- I mean, if you did that and it said, you know, 20,000 or something over it, or twenty or 20 million or 5 million or whatever, and that value was different each time, then that would be a lower-res one. But if it's a, if it's always the same, then it, it, it would be a high-res one. Right,
1: okay. So, uh, well, the game looks very impressive and um, um, it uh, appears that they are already shipping. So that's a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. They, they, well, I'm sure they've been been uh, champing
0: at the bit to get the games out of the factory. You know, they've right. they've got them ready to go. Uh, when we were there, there was, I say there were probably twenty or thirty, and and probably a dozen or so in test at the time. Just at, just um, you know, going through their final tests where they're boxed up and, and shipped out. So yeah, they're keen to get them get them out the door, right. and um, I don't think there's any reason why not. You know, they uh, talking to Doug Dubois. You said uh, around about seventy percent of the game um, is now common parts to um, Attack from Mars. You know, so all the flip mechanisms, the pop bumpers, the slingshots, the switches. You know, that's all, and the display, and the the back box lighting, probably uh, well, that might vary slightly depending on the positioning of the lights. You know, all the cabinet. Um, hardware, that's all the same between the games, so they're, they're now really geared up to sort of push through new games very very quickly it's probably, uh, and they know how to emulate them as well of course um, with right. the new system, so it's probably more things like getting that high res dot art done, which would slow them down from doing any more games um, although there was, no, there was no hint as to what their next title might be um, although we did, uh, I did certainly ask Put a few ideas, and uh, but I think basically you, you look at what's, what's um, in the uh, in the higher echelons of the price range, um, and then you can probably guess what the next titles are going to be. It's probably things like you know, I'm like guessing Cactus Canyon or something like that. Uh, the games where there aren't many of them out there, and the prices are high, and, the, and they can sell them. There's no point in them making a, a remake and selling it for you know, eight thousand dollars if you can buy a standard one for four or five. So then they're actually gonna be looking at the more expensive games. So but right. that's, that's that's just my my sense of, of what they might be looking at next. There's so certainly no no indication from Chicago Gaming
1: or Doug as to what they might might be working on now. Right. Speaking of pricing of the games, um the standard edition or classic edition if you want to call it, um mm-hmm. is apparently priced around six thousand American dollars. Um, that makes Chicago Gaming a serious competitor for Stern Pinball.
0: Yeah, the, Doug said they actually deliberately made, made the new game, I think it was about $500 cheaper than the previous model, than the uh, Attack from Mars, I guess. Right. Um, maybe part of that is down to as what I was saying before about having the, the commonality of parts um, and, and the expertise in, in knowing how to do this now. Uh, and and maybe the license wasn't that expensive either with universal to get the uh, all the creatures in so yeah they um, they're very very keen to push that that fact and uh, i think it's a, it makes it a very attractive package personally
1: yeah and uh, especially for the operator market i mean um no uh, uh disrespect or anything like that to stern but with the new game you have no idea how it will earn um monster bash has been a very well earning title uh, for over the years and in an, with this improved package even if it's the classic edition with the smaller display um like you said all the all the uh, the light effects are still on the play field and so on which are improved so uh, that might actually still convince operators to either go to to rather go for a monster bash that they are familiar with, than with any new Stern title, of we they say have no idea how well it will perform.
0: Well, you're right. Monster Bash is a is a known entity. It's um it's a a timeless um, theme, I guess. You know, people know the the, the characters in it, and then um, the only question there would be, you know, are people bored with playing Monster Bash? Um, those who don't know that it's a it's a remake and therefore it's slightly different would they would they think oh that's an old title I played that years ago
1: where's, where's the new game um, I can't answer that but um, I guess we'll find out over time yeah, yeah but I absolutely. think sh- uh, for sure Chicago gaming has a winner on their hand with this game I think so they
0: were they were very confident on pre-sales on it they were uh, I think I talking well over a thousand pre-sales from their distributors uh, which, would, which would probably, you know, if it carries on, anything like that strength would make it their most popular title. Uh, I think they said that they sold something like 1,700 uh, Attack from Marses already. Um, and obviously they have a, have quite a few more in the factory that they can sell, so that, that could potentially go up to, you know, 2,000 or more. And Bash, if you've got 1,000 pre-orders or, or even more than that, I think. I, I haven't got the exact number to mark, to to hand, so I, so I think I will err on the on the side of safety and say you know a thousand plus uh, right. pre-orders from distributors, so they were very confident on on filling.
1: Right, okay, um, so I guess that wraps it up for um, Chicago Gaming. Mm,
0: yes. Yeah. And thanks thanks to Doug for showing us around. And uh, it's a shame we couldn't actually get any pictures at the time, but you uh, know hopefully we will get some. He uh, did promise to. Sent us some pictures uh, from the factory after the event, so uh, hopefully they'll, they'll arrive up fairly soon.
1: Right, okay. So then let's move on to uh, the second remake that has been announced uh, this month, uh, which is a uh, remake that has also uh, received a new name. It's a remake of Sea Witch, originally a Stern Electronics game from 1980, designed by, I think it was Ed Cuban or Mike Cuban, one of the two. Mike, I think, yeah. Um, and uh, uh, it's a title that has been actually quite in demand uh, for quite a while. Even Gary Stern told me that a couple of weeks ago. Um, and uh, to uh, uh, brush it up a little bit, I guess, they decided to retheme it as a Beatles pinball machine. Beatles pinball, uh, Beatlemania Pinball, I should say.
0: Yes, it's uh, the Beatles, Beatlemania Pinball, the the, the full title. Um, interesting decision to take um, a 1980 game and uh, retheme it. Uh, and uh, to be fair, there have been various changes made to the play field, but they're not drastic. Um, and it's still a, a single level, um, fairly simple Playfield layout with um, with three banks of drop targets on the playfield, and that big um, circular orbit at the top, uh, where um, the the only real change there has been that the, instead of having a star uh, rollover at the top of the orbit, they now have a magnet which can grab the ball and drop it into the pot bumpers. Right. So. Uh, but it's um, it's basically the same playfield layout as you said. There's there's some, others, there's some other stand-up targets being, being added to the playfield. There's, uh, behind one of the banks of drop targets, there's a super jackpot shot. Um, which
1: and a passage as
0: well over there. Uh, there is. There's also a spinning disc in the middle of the playfield, um, very much like the um, sort of twister disc, only this is, this is a record uh, yes. ticket to ride.
1: Record. But it's a
0: magnetic one, so it actually can hold the balls in the center as well. Yeah, just like the Twister one yep. does at the start of multi-ball, and um, it's um, it's uh, very pr- bright and um, I guess turquoise is probably the the best way of describing the playfield. Right. Um, it features lots and lots of artwork all over it, all done by Chris Franchi, I think. Yes. Um, but but probably inco inco collaboration with the licensor, which right. I guess is is Apple Core in this case. Um, and I think the licensors probably impose quite a few restrictions on, or, or conditions, should I say, yes. on exactly how the game is made, what's in it, and how it is used.
1: Well, I can uh, uh, yes. briefly talk about that. Yeah, uh, please as do. Far as far as the restrictions go... Um, it will be, uh, the number of games to be produced is limited to uh, 1964, representing the year 1964, which was the year that the Beatles, um, appeared on the Ed Sullivan show. And that was their breakthrough in uh, the US. So it was a very important year for the Beatles. Um, there will be three editions named after the, um, uh, awards that uh, in the record industry are common, being um, 100 platinum, uh, sorry, 100 diamond editions, 250 platinum editions, and 1,614 gold editions, which are rumored to be priced at uh, 8,200 US dollars. Not sure whether that is uh, the actual uh, price or the MSRP um the game has a coin door but there are no uh slot or coin mech uh uh openings in it obviously a game needs a a coin door to make sure that you can access uh uh under the playfield and remove the the playfield glass and so on but in this case um it was apparently a requirement from the license for that the game is not uh, to be operated on location. So uh, no coin slots and also no uh, uh, possibility to add those although I'm pretty sure that with all the possibilities that there are that's easily hackable um, and it could be implemented after all. Yeah, you also have to bear in mind there
0: are quite a few locations around the world where uh, the games are actually operated on free play, and you know either the 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 cost is in uh, entry to the to the venue, right. or they make the cost up from the from um, the cost of uh, drinks and right. uh, food that they sell at the venue. So yeah, we we visited somewhere where games are free play, so that game could easily be operated in in a barcade, as uh, long as it's not charged, or there are some other ways. As you say, you know it's not rocket science to actually. Uh, find a way of charging for these games one way or another right
1: so um, now what's um, interesting is um, uh, I think the price point for the uh, gold edition which is the um, what normally would be the pro edition has mm-hmm. been announced which is um, already higher than a regular pro edition um, which some people might think is odd because hey this is a 1980s play field with um, two extra magnets, and, and a couple of other stuff. So why would it be more expensive? Um, I know Gary Stern said it's a drop-target game, three drop-target bank, and four flippers. That makes it more expensive, but... No, it doesn't really, does it? I mean,
0: you compare that to a game like uh, Iron Maiden or even Deadpool that's got a lot more on the play field than, right. uh, than, than Sea Witch Remake has. Right. Um, no you're paying for the the license you're paying for the exclusivity and it's also worth pointing out that those those numbers that you you quoted earlier the 100 diamond editions 250 platinum and 16 14 gold are maximum production numbers right no there's no guarantee they're going to make that many if they don't sell um 1600 gold editions at uh, 8200 or whatever the price is um that's fine you know they'll make as many as they can but that's those are the, the limits on what they're going to make, not right. not the, uh, the the definite production numbers.
1: Right. So the, 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 the rumor going uh, around right now is that pricing for the Platinum and Diamond editions has not been announced. And uh, that has to do with uh, basically Stern um, not having decided yet on what it's going to be. They have an idea, but they are uh, uh, reportedly... From what I hear from various sources, um, testing the waters, what would be the best pricing to come out with? The highest that they can get away with? Um, I didn't <laughs> put it like that, but...
0: <laughs> this is, as far as, I, as far as I can recall, having received Stern press releases for goodness knows how many years, it's the first time they've released a game and they haven't put the prices on the right. press release, it just said contact your distributor yes. for prices. And I don't think the distributors know what the prices are either at the moment, right? But they um, presumably, in due course, they will. But that that's a very unusual, very unusual move, and um, it kind of suggests that that they don't quite the stern don't quite know what they can get away with at the moment. Right. And I think I think they're trying to push it as high as they possibly can. Um but maybe they're also testing to see what the demand is from from distributors. Now
1: you know, that's what the interesting thing is, sorry for interrupting. No, but, no. Correct. Um so um I get the feeling that at Stern they might be thinking like, Oh, we're gonna do a Beatles machines and uh in the past we heard Joe Chemical talk about how um Paul McCartney on, on um Uh, uh, that that taxi uh, uh, show or whatever it's called. Um, Carpool Karaoke. Yeah, exactly. Uh, That had uh, a hundred million people watching uh, within a day or two. Mm -hmm. Sure, but uh, watching a clip on YouTube doesn't cost as much as buying a pinball machine. So that doesn't, that popularity, I'm not sure whether that translates to uh, a game sold. And especially, um, I pointed out on Pinside, there is a difference between Beatles memorabilia, which is actually like guitars uh, that that John Lennon played or owned or whatever, and merchandise, which is made afterwards, and the Beatles basically have nothing to do with it. That's right. Yes, it's all done by their merchandising companies. Yes, then there still are Beatles fans that will pay $20 for a mug uh, with the Beatles on it, um, which is fine. But that's still different than a, um, a pinball machine that starts at $8,000 and might even be more expensive depending on, on how exclusive it is.
0: Yeah, I think Stern have had their fingers burnt in that that way before, assuming that when they produce games like you know, the Rolling Stones and Elvis. The Aerosmith and Elvis, that people would be willing to pay that kind of money and as soon as discovered that they they couldn't or they couldn't sell them for that kind of amount, um, I think uh, Rolling Stones in particular didn't didn't do that well. Uh, even the limited edition, I'm sure there were there were plenty of those left over uh, at the end of the run.
1: Right, that's as far as uh, Beatles goes for now. Yeah. Um, what we can mention is, uh, as mentioned in the press release, um, the game does feature eight songs by the Beatles, Uh, A Hard Day's Night, Can't Buy Me Love, Ticket to Ride, All My Loving, Help, Drive My Car, It Won't Be Long, And I Should Have Known Better. In that order, that's almost like a verse of someone (laughs) regretting lending his car to someone. Yeah. And that went terribly wrong, but okay. That's um, so eight songs in, uh, in the game, um, not complete songs as I understood. Uh, I think it's like 15 second loops that are uh, uh well, basically being looped, and uh, so it will appear to be longer, but it's just a f- 15 second loop.
0: Mm, and um, see
1: how that works. Um, I guess there's only one way to find out, and that is play the game. Now, what's also interesting is that um, the game was um, basically uh, announced through a video teaser, which was on the Stern Pinball YouTube channel, but Stern didn't go, come out with it. It was a, uh, the Beatles store that mm. put it on their website and then was quickly picked up. But um, you, couldn't, you couldn't Google for it because apparently it was not findable for Google. Uh, It wasn't set to private, but it was difficult to find in Google, let's put it like that. And um, then it took a couple of days before they actually uh, officially announced the game uh, with a press release. So um, interestingly, um, after the video appeared, Obviously, Pinside went berserk as always. Um, lots of people crapping on the game, but it's interesting to see how many people by now are sort of changing their mind. And uh, after getting used to the idea, they can actually see how this could be a fun game. So let's hope for that. Else, um, I also can see Stern being stuck with a bunch of Beatles games.
0: Well, I think people were definitely calling for um, a remake or several remakes of uh, earlier Stern Electronic games. Yeah, but not at this price point. Well, that's exactly it. They were expecting, that because they were simpler and should be cheaper to build, that they would be at a lower price point, whereas this is actually exactly the opposite of that. It's actually a higher price point, despite being a simpler game. So, you know, but you're right that it it was announced on the Beatles store, and that's obviously where they see the target, the the audience being for this game, or the market being uh, with the Beatles fans and collectors. And um, well, they'll find find out whether or not that's true. But uh, I'm sure, I'm sure there'll be certain certain number of pinball collectors who have got to have it as well, no matter what what price is or, or what the game design is. Right. But okay. um, I'm sure they, however it sells that Stern will do alright out of it and so will Kapow um, who were their, their partners with Joe Kimigal, um in, in, in making this game and licensing it from from the Beatles
1: right so um, uh, sticking with Stern for, the, for a, a moment um, there is some other news about Stern uh, I think there were a couple of uh, software updates I don't recall exactly which games but some of the recent ones um, there has been a, a making of Deadpool video uh, released, which oddly enough, although understandable, doesn't mention anything about the first design of Deadpool that was uh, done by a designer who we shall not mention anymore. Um, but it focuses mostly on the game as we know it now. Yes, that's right. Um, George Gomez in his
0: pinball expo seminar showed the, the premiere of that video. Um, and, of course, it's on the the Stern YouTube channel now, but you can also – i mean, just make a blatant plug here. Um, You can see George's entire seminar along with, uh, I was going to say, all the other seminars from Pinball Expo. There is just one which I haven't quite got on the uh, Pinball News YouTube channel or on the Pinball News site yet, Um, but other than that, all of them um, you can watch Thank you, Rob Burke, for letting us um, do that this year. First time ever. Um, Rob was um, was a bit unsure about whether it would be a good idea to to uh, put all the seminars onto YouTube for people to watch, um, but. I did it anyway. I recorded them all and put them up there, and he hasn't said take them down. So I assume it's okay. I uh, don't think end...
1: he knows, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's even better. Yeah. Uh, so, well, but I... uh, well done, Martin. I have to uh, give you a heads up for that. Thanks. I was working on the basis that
0: it's uh, that often said so it's easier to ask for forgiveness than it is to ask for permission.
1: Um, Well, (laughs) I think it's an interesting test case, actually, because there's different ways how you can look at it. Uh, Of course, you can look at it like, well, if you can see the uh, seminars online, then why would you go to the event? But on the other hand, you could also see it as a year long promotion for the next show.
0: Oh, that's absolutely right. And and, there is no substitute for actually being there at the seminar itself and being to to meet and ask the the speaker themselves uh, the questions you always wanted to ask. You know, you can't do that in a, in a YouTube video and you can't get anything signed by people and you, you can't you know just get a, a vibe for the for the whole seminar in the same way that you can if you're there. So I don't think it's in any way a substitution. I think it, it is a promotion, as you say, um, and always has been in the past when we've just done the audio previously. But um, it was a bit of a, a challenge this year doing the video because uh, it's ended up being sort of about 25 hours of uh, of live uh, broadcasting which um you know it's not the easiest thing in the world to 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 do even if you're a professional broadcaster but when right. you're sitting there with a laptop um and also having to, having various other duties to deal with such as uh sound mixing the whole seminar
1: okay so we're looking for, for an intern to
0: assess <laughs> for next year at <laughs> symbol expo that'd be good anybody can point a camera uh, that would be useful. And um, anybody who's got a camera would also be useful because his mind blew up um, halfway through the show. So if so. you're looking
1: for a very exciting, as you can hear, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> internship, then send an email to um, uh, Pinball News, yes, to the Pinball News uh, website.
0: Also, if you happen to know of, of, a, of a camera, a webcam, or not a webcam, but a, a camcorder that happens to output uh, over USB and can be used for streaming. That would be wonderful.
1: I'd say uh, Jack Danger is. Uh,
0: I, I, I've absolutely it. spoken to Jack about this because, of course, he was one of the one of the subjects of the seminars. So, uh, so I've asked him about that and found out what what uh, he's using as well. But um, it's a slightly different proposition to do a coverage of seminars than it is to do a a, a video a, a, a streaming of a pinball game. Right, uh, because obviously you've got a very fixed rig, you know, looking down at the down at the playfield, one at the one at the score, one at the player. Um, you know, yeah. that's that's fixed. Whereas in a, in a seminar, you've got to pan and tilt as people move around. You've got to have shots of the audience. You've got to have shots of scr- okay. of the screen. So like let's not drift away so.
1: too much. Yeah, uh,
0: yeah. We were-
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Well, um, he, did, he did mention it, but um, yeah. But anyway, um, so, yes. So in in that seminar with. Um, with George, George, yes, he was showing the the Deadpool video, um, which um, which was very well received, I think, in in the, in the hall. And talking about the making of Deadpool, uh, as well as introducing all the people who worked on the on the game. Well, not all of them, but, but many of the people who worked on the game, and uh, uh, explaining how he went about uh, developing various aspects of it. So that's a an interesting thing which you uh, which you can see some of. Uh, we can see all of it, but um, obviously there's no substitute for, for being there to to see George himself. And, he, of course, George was there in the uh, later on the same day as part of the Sternorama uh, event, which was effectively the, the closing of Pinball Expo on Saturday evening. Now there's no Sunday and no banquet. So George was there along with the team that were responsible for for Deadpool, and they were there to answer questions, sign flyers, Translate whatever, and answer questions, and uh, and give away free beer and um, the opportunity to play the game and compete in tournaments. So right. that was a it was a nice way to to end Pinball Expo. So uh, kudos to Stern for uh, putting a lot of effort into that.
1: Right. Now speaking of George, um, George Gomez, um, along with Keith Elwin and um, Stern Licensing Manager Jody Dankberg. This is at the Harry Potter Theme Park, which I think is in California, but I might be wrong.
0: Um, is that the, the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, which is at the, the Universal Studios
1: in I think uh, so. Florida?
0: Yes. Yeah. Oh, then no. it's in
1: Florida. It's not yes. California. Sorry about that. I haven't been there, so I... Oh, I have. It's very good. I recommend everybody goes.
0: They uh, have some amazing rides, especially the... Uh, the main one, which is uh, sort of a a robotic um, travel around the world of Harry Potter, but don't want to get too distracted from that.
1: Right, okay. So obviously this led to speculation um, that Harry Potter could be a future um, license uh, to be turned into a a pinball machine by Stern. Um, Why else would they be there? Um, It's interesting to note that it was pointed out to me that uh, the, the theme park is operated by Universal, but Universal is not the, um, the studio that is making Harry Potter movies.
0: No, that's um, Warner
1: Brothers. Right. So, um, but then again, if you want to see or get familiar with anything Harry Potter or get some inspiration for a game, that's probably the place where you want to go anyway. Absolutely. And it's also interesting to note that uh, one of the reasons
0: cited that there hasn't been a Harry Potter pinball up to now was J.K. Rowling's um, dislike of uh, having her theme potentially appearing in, in bars and um, alcohol-related uh, establishments. Um, and the, one of the classic ways of avoiding that happening is to not put a, uh, a coin slot on the front of the game. And um, now there seems to be a certain precedent of how they could get away with doing that. Now there's a Beatles game with no coin slot on the front and a restriction that it can't be operated. So it's maybe not beyond the realms of possibility that that particular restriction has been overcome and that might potentially
1: lead to uh, a Harry Potter theme being given to go ahead by J.K. Rowling. Right. It will be interesting to see whether... Uh, since Keith Elwin was visiting uh, uh, the theme park as well, whether he would be given that theme. Because um, with all the designers that Stern has, nothing to take away from Keith, but you might think that um, they might want to uh, uh, trust such a theme to a veteran designer. On the other hand, you might give a young designer like Keith Elwin a shot, and he might surprise uh, everybody and blow them away.
0: Well, it might be that they sort of ask their their team, you know, who's particularly interested in the Harry Potter theme. Is anybody really keen on it? And um, maybe Keith has got some some background, and some some experience, and and really likes what um, you know, all the aspects of that that theme, and would be a be a good designer. You want to have a designer who's passionate about the theme rather than somebody who gets it
2: yeah, added, thrown
0: true. thrown to them.
1: Although that didn't work out with WWE, <laughs> but that's today a different question, uh, different game <laughs> in many ways. Yes. Yes. Um, then uh, the, uh, the last thing about Stern, uh, we almost forget that um, we're still waiting for the monsters. Yes, we we saw the
0: artwork of that.
1: Uh, what, last month
0: was that. Yes, was I it think it that it was before? last
1: month. The cabinet art leaked, and uh, apparently, even at Stern. Uh, Apparently, both games are ready to go, uh, the other one being Beatles, of course. And it was basically a flip of the coin, like, which one are we announcing first? And uh, that turned out to be Beatles, uh, but we're still waiting, and it might not even be long before Monsters is announced as well. Uh, uh, Probably that means that, uh, obviously, the Beatles game is targeted at a different audience, or uh, a buying audience, that is than uh, the monsters game so yes. it,
0: it does leave a gap for operators of course now if, if Beatles can't be operated right what are, what are operators meant to buy and uh, once they if they fulfill their their Deadpool orders you know, they they have nothing to buy so the monsters will be a, a natural pr- um, next game for them to
1: purchase right speaking of games to buy what I also heard is that game uh, that Stern had plenty of games in the back of the factory, sitting and ready to go, waiting for someone to buy them. Um, they absolutely did, you... did. yes. I, I didn't personally go
0: on the Stern factory tour this time, because I had to... Um, had yeah, to yeah, do the, the camera seminars. work. We know you did yes, a lot of no, work. No. But, but my good friend uh, M.G. Brown did go and took some pictures on the tour. So, yes, you can see on the People News Report from... Thursday, the big big stack of boxes at the back of the factory with um, with various countries. Um, so on some of them, um, others not being yet being designated to where they're going to go. So yes, they do have a lot of machines there. Uh, but then as I say, so did American Pimble with their attack from Marses. So uh, right, okay. I don't think that's a problem.
1: Um, I but, hope it's not a problem. No, I don't think so. I think uh, they're pretty confident of selling them. Okay. Good. And uh, last but certainly not least about Stern, uh, they have been uh, running Metallica again, silently. They didn't (laughs) announce it, but they did. Uh, I saw it on the line when I was in the factory in uh, early September. Uh, But apparently this is the last run of Metallica that they will be doing. Yes, they
0: they did publicize the fact that it's the last run again. That's uh, why I previously said that they
1: wouldn't um, be making any more. Well, uh, they previously said that they wouldn't remake, uh, be making the game anymore in 2017, which was last year. Uh, they didn't exclude that they might do it again in uh, this year, <laughs> which they actually did. Um, yes. But so, so not to conflict those two. But apparently this is indeed the final run of uh, Metallica. For now well unless, unless unless they renew
0: the license and decide to make some more right so well they, they can always do a vault edition oh absolutely yeah yeah again uh, we're to get the licensing sorted out uh, i don't know if the license has run out on, on metallica or whether it was well there was ever a license um as such because it was it seemed to be a very much a sort of collaborative work right. with the band themselves and i'm sure they the band would like like the
1: game to be made forever Right, but there, uh, there's uh, also a matter of demand. Um, oh, of course, if if everybody who who is interested in the game has one, then there's no point in making them. So then, moving on, um, let's go with Deep Root. Deep Root did a seminar at Expo as well. You were there. I did indeed,
0: um, and their the, their four design um, heads were there. So that was um, Barry Ausler, Dennis Nordman, uh, John Papaduke, and John Norris. The four of them were there, which was the first time we've seen John Papaduke in public for quite a long time. Right. Um, Despite various people saying they were going to, I don't know, kick up a fuss and ask awkward questions or protest. We did not see
1: any lynching going on. That's correct. nobody said
0: anything at all during the seminar. Whether what was it afterwards? well um that was hardly a surprise to be honest um but you know on the other hand it was uh, people kept it classy if they had any disputes with john they could take them up after the seminar and the seminar was probably not the place at which they they should tr- tackle him head on
1: right okay uh, but so it's not about john right now it's about okay deep root is working it's about with deep a bunch root, of yes. Designers. Now, the funny thing is, um, uh, while uh, I am very appreciative of you recording all these seminars in video, I was actually told don't bother watching that one because nobody is saying anything. Yes. Well, that was only a surprise because obviously
0: Deep Root are saving their big reveal for Texas show. uh, And there was it five days of of Deep Root?
1: Yes. They're doing there.
0: They're meant to be releasing four titles is it or five titles
1: uh, who knows yeah whatever they can get ready i guess
0: yeah um well at least four should we say one from each each designer um at the texas show so that's that's what well, that's going to happen so but robert muller was, was very clear that they weren't going to talk about game specifics at this point now they'll wait for the games to to actually you know, be there for you to see for yourself in march um, which kind of um, kind of took the wind out of the sails of the whole the whole seminar in a way, you know, because here's a seminar talking about games that we can't talk about. So it was more about um, it was questions, sort of which the designers themselves, and uh, it wasn't just those four because um, Steve Bowden was also there, um, and as as one of the new sign sign ups for Deep Root. Right. But the designers themselves were kind of asked questions about you know, how deep root the philosophy at Deep Root was different from previous jobs they'd had designing games, and um, how they were going to make games that appealed to the to the masses more than had been the case in the past. And to be honest, none of them seemed that enthused by the by the questions, and the answers were a little bit on the. Uh, on the weak side and, and formulaic, should we say, uh, right. without giving anything away about what they were going to do. Cause they are obviously not, not in a position to, to give details of their games. So, okay.
1: So yeah, no, I, that that.
0: No I wouldn't either. say, I wouldn't say don't watch it because I think it's, it's interesting and the body language is interesting and it's, and it's almost as interesting in what they don't say as what they do say.
1: Right. So, okay.
0: so I think it's worthwhile watching, but uh, yeah, you, you're not going really to get any, any uh, secrets or, um, much in the way of insights into what the what the four designers they are working on. Right. Okay. Then Jersey Jack Pinball. Absolutely. Well, this was a um, an interesting one for for Jersey Jack because they announced their Pirates last year, um, so they they weren't they weren't announcing another game this year. Um, having experienced what it's like when you announce a game before it's ready. And the problems that come with that, you know, the game that you show is not production ready. Therefore, the game that you do produce might be significantly different. In this case, it it was it was mildly different in that you know the spinning disc changed from being three spinning discs to being one spinning disc. So, you know, why would you show a game that's got something which you're not going to be able to produce? Right. So they learnt that lesson. Uh, there's been the a hard like, way, I'd say. Yeah, the hard way. There's been a change of culture, a bit of a change of uh, management um, at various levels. And um, so they have now moving towards the point, which I think all people, manufacturers want to be at, where they don't announce the game until it's ready to build and ship. So they, they weren't going to announce their next game at this point. Although that's not to say they could, they didn't have you know a great... Um, a great show at the at um, at Expo with, uh, with their pirates, and also uh, had Pat Lawler there, of course, um, talking about "Dialed In" and, um, and the making of that as well. So, uh, but yes, yeah, so they had um, had Pat Lawler and Eric Meunier were were there talking about their, their their two games. So it was, well, it was still a good show, I think, for for Jersey Jack, even if they they didn't have anything to announce. But then. Stern didn't have anything to announce either at, at that show. Right. Um, they, 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 had, they waited till two days afterwards right. to announce theirs, which was interesting
1: timing. Right. So um, so Pirates is currently being made um, in the Josie Jack uh, factory. Um, probably not at the pace as they would like uh, them to make. Um, it appears that there has been a uh, sort of like a supply chain problem but it looks to be solved by now. So there might have been a little delay, but at least uh, they're producing games now. So, and then, uh, obviously, let's not forget that the, the biggest problem with pinball machines is if you have like 3,500 parts, as Gary Stern always used to say, um, if you're missing one for whatever reason, you can't build the game. Yes, the most important part, they say, is the one you haven't got. Right so uh so apparently uh, there may have been some some of uh, that going on or vendors uh, uh unintentionally screwing up something i don't know i don't know the details but apparently they had a, a bunch of games waiting for certain parts and then it appears that once the parts are delivered then they can start moving everything so um And that leads me sort of to uh, we get back to uh, some other talks at Pinball Expo, but this is a nice bridge to say that um, Jean-Paul De Wynne, who is the uh, LCD animator for Jersey Jack Pinball, is uh, one of the special guests at the Dutch Pinball Open Expo, which is held the weekend of November 10th and 11th in the city of Drunen in the Netherlands. And other guests at that event will be Martin Ayer of Pinball News, Oh, he's Um, good. Yeah. Um, Paul Ferris, a pinball designer from, uh, no, sorry, pinball artist from uh, Belly, Data East, and Sega. And Um, Deeproot now. And Deeproot, indeed. Um, Jim Petla will also be there, who was a a pinball designer for Belly, and he also worked behind the scenes at Williams. And Jack Danger will be there to stream uh, most of the tournaments. Live on his uh, on his death clip stream, um, and there's also uh, Janos Kissov team uh, pinball will be there to discuss uh, the making of the mafia. There's uh, two Germans coming over to do a seminar about a um, very unique um, head-to-head pinball game that they built, which is actually the size of two regular pinball machines, but then basically head-to-head. Um, it's called Good versus Evil. Um, they're going to be talking about that and that game will also be there so lots of reasons to uh, to attend the Dutch Pinball Open Expo
0: and another one you were too modest to uh, to mention which was a certain Jonathan Houston will be there as well
1: oh right yeah uh, which reminds me um, that, uh, that Jonathan Houston that you mentioned and this Martin Ayub that I earlier mentioned they are going to do Uh, this um, quiz called So You Think You Know Pinball in which they will be giving away lots of goodies um, sponsored by Jersey Jack Pinball, Stern Pinball and American Pinball. So uh, thank you to those kind sponsors uh, for uh, sending over some uh, swag if you want to call it that uh, that can be won by participants in the quiz and I remember last year the quiz was very popular and um people uh, were very happy to be winning uh, all sorts of goodies in the t-shirts strands lines whatever uh, you know so that's um I look forward to doing a new uh, a new quiz with you actually yes yes it, it should be fun um
0: we have to work out exactly how we're going to do it in the, in the new venue or the the new old venue because
1: last last time we did it and it was in um in Eindhoven, in, and in now Ivo. we're back into a venue that was used the last time uh, three years ago for this event. Yes, um, which
0: has a, a big auditorium with lots of lots of very plush seating. Right. Uh, but we we've got to get the audience up on their feet and moving around to do our our quiz. So yeah, uh, because
1: we like to stir things up. That's, right. know, that's yeah. what we do. Yep. Yeah. Okay.
0: So, so moving on. So oh yes, uh, that's, uh, that's what
1: about two weeks time, isn't it from now? Yeah, it was a little uh, sidestep, but getting back to uh to Expo, because there were um other um seminars that are uh, worth mentioning. Mm. Um, let's Absolutely. start with uh, Nick Parks from the Pinball Company. Yeah, well
0: Nick um was there with his with his wife Brooke and they were talking about the uh, the formation of the Pinball Company. But but the Pinball Company is is more than just a, a, a pinball reseller. Um, they were also responsible for commissioning Spooky Pinball to make the Jetsons game. Right. Um, so uh, that was sold, I think, exclusively through Pinball Company. Um, but probably more importantly than that was they announced plans to open a new Chicago Pinball Hall of Fame. Um, which will they're planning to open in Schomburg, which um you and I Jonathan both know very well because that seems to be the place where we've stayed every time that right. we've uh, we've gone to Pinball Expo in in recent years uh, which is a, a very um what shall we say it's a very social area with lots of uh, shopping malls and uh, restaurants and bars Hotels. Um, Hotels too, yeah, there's a big expansion in hotels there. And it's home to places like Level 257, which is the Namco-themed um, barcade. And um, also GameWorks are there as well. Um, but they're, they're going to open this, this Chicago Pinball Hall of Fame, which they're planning to have 140, I think, or more, maybe 150 pinball machines as well as other uh, other games. So
1: uh, now uh, let let uh, obviously this is great news. Um, but uh, uh, allow me to play devil's advocate for a second. Um, isn't that just a, um, a sort of a, a moving the pinball store to a new location and basically saying that the showroom is now the pinball hall of fame? No, I think this is
0: this is a definite dedicated arcade barcade as well. You know, it's going to be. It's going to be uh, no have a licensed bar. It's going to be it's going to be you know kind of like the Emporium headquarters, Logan, of okay. Chicago, but with far more machines. It's going to, as, as they were saying, it's going to be like the Pinball Hall of Fame in in um, Las Vegas, but with a bar. But with bar and and dining and and much much more plush should we okay, say. And when is this supposed to be opening? Well, that's the exciting part. They're playing. next. He was expecting it to be ready by the time of expo next year. So that's, you know, now it's or 11 months away. Um, there's, a, he hadn't finalized the location at the time of the seminar, but he's got a, he got a pretty, pretty good deal on with, uh, one of the, one of the mall owners there. I think probably even in the talking about putting in, in the Woodfield mall, And the same place as level 257,
1: but that's not guaranteed. uh, What I hear is um, level 257 is keeping, they they are being offered more and more space because uh, Sears is moving out. Well, moving out or shutting down, yes. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. But so Uh, that space is becoming available, and apparently they can easily move walls or whatever and uh, expand. Yes, indeed. There's um,
0: there's plenty of space in that in that mall, um, and the important thing for um, Nick, as he was saying, was that um, it wouldn't be within the mall. It would actually be on the sort of edge of it, um, have an exterior access. So even if the mall closes down at you know eleven o'clock or midnight, people can still go in and out of uh, the Hall of Fame there. Uh, up until whatever time their licensing restrictions allow them to open you no know, one two o'clock in the morning, so that yeah. place will be self self contained and cut off from the rest of it um so yes it's uh, the intention is definitely to make it a a um, a barcade and an entertainment complex and a a dining and entertainment center um, right yeah, it great plans for it and uh, I think we should uh, definitely be keeping on top of, of what's happening there because uh, that Would be a quite an amazing um place if it if it if it comes to fruition, in, and, and certainly in the, in the time scale that he says. And uh, next year, um, who knows, we might be reporting from there, um, just prior to Expo,
1: right? Grand opening, mm. Yes. Yeah. And talking so, of Walls of Fame, um, um, no, we're not going there yet. No, oh, no. oh come on. Oh. No, no, no. I know you All want right. to go to 2 no, Arnold, I know, but... No, there's um, uh, another sort of rumour um, involving the pinball company, and that is that they might have um, acquired a uh, a licence mm. for a future pinball game.
0: Yes, I'm, I, I haven't had this confirmed in any way, but I guess you're talking about the suggestion that uh, Scooby-Doo would be... Uh, title for them in an upcoming
1: design is that right that is right right so i well, figured we mentioned that at least it's uh not confirmed although i think there has been confirmation that the license for scooby-doo has been picked up for a Pimmel manufacturer and then it remains to be seen who it will be but rumor has it that following the jets and scooby-doo would be a, a next uh game by the Pimmel company and we'd still have to see whether Spooky Pimble would be making those again or whether they would source it out to someone else. But I, I, I although not confirmed, I'd say I'd, I'd like to mention the rumor so that at least we mentioned it. I was actually talking about this very subject
0: many years ago, actually, where around about the time the Jetsons deal was, was, well even before the Jetsons deal was announced, am uh, talking about it with uh, Ben Heck and Spooky. And it, it looked like it was on the cards back then. Um, so it's not a great surprise. I, I, I came to the conclusion that it was probably a package deal with Hanna Barbara um, to get the Jetsons and, and, um, Scooby-Doo all in one. Um, oh, who knows? Well, they got
2: maybe. Well, yeah, it sounds. could be
0: others. Yeah. Well, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, I guess it would depend on how well uh, the Jetsons did for them, whether they uh, whether they made their money back on that or whether it sold according to expectations. Right. Uh, I personally would have thought Scooby-Doo would be a better title than the Jetsons, uh, more more widely known and more internationally known as well, because I don't th- well personally, I had no knowledge really of the Jetsons in this country, in the UK, but certainly Scooby-Doo was uh, part of my
1: childhood um tv watching all the time yeah so so i was never I, I was never fond of scooby-doo i thought it was rather silly but <sighs> of course it's silly that's the whole point
0: yeah
1: oh and then, then i missed was, it i guess and
0: we would, would have got away with it too if it wasn't for you meddling kids Uh-oh. okay <laughs> so let's get to tim arnold all oh, right yes tim yes talking of hall of fame um Yes, well, we, we, we know that Tim Arnold was uh, was talking about, was, was planning a move from the uh, current location of the uh, Pinball Hall of Fame in Las Vegas from the from Tropicana Avenue onto the Strip. And at uh, Pinball Expo, he basically fleshed out his plans a lot more, explained what he was planning to do, what he was originally planning to do, what he was then planning to do, and what he's now planning to do. Uh, and why he needs to raise money and how he's planning to raise money in order to get this to happen um it's um it's far too much to to go into um in this podcast okay so watch the seminar that's why you recorded it absolutely it's um he's he's got all the diagrams he points out you know how they originally thought they'd just you know, build into one plot of land and then another bit bit of land became available and maybe they could move a bit further south, a bit more towards the Harley-Davidson store, and how there uh, the are various rules about how many car parking spaces you have to have for, for uh, a certain location, depending on whether it's a museum or whether it's a retail outlet. And, and he was looking forward to, well, not looking forward, looking beyond his um, tenure of the uh, Hall of Fame and when the place might be sold to a retail um, concern and how, if they didn't have enough car parking spaces, um for a retail operation that would lower the value of the property and you know you can you can imagine the rest but um it's very detailed it's and and tim i have to say tim is a very entertaining and creditable speaker so i would definitely urge you to to watch his presentation you know he's there's no there's no tricks there's no um there's no flash or anything to it. It's just him explaining exactly what he's doing, pointing at the at the um, at the plot, explaining the sums, and uh, at the end of it, you've got a very good uh, overview of what his plans are, what he needs to do, and how he plans to do it.
1: Okay, excellent. So we'll check that out. Mm-hmm. Then, um, moving on, uh, Mirko Stefan. From um, high-class playfields, the um, high-class pinball, I should say. Sorry. Yeah. Um, he did a seminar as well. What can you tell about it? He will be he doing did. a seminar, by the way, at the Dutch Pinball Open Expo uh, in Drunen, which is the weekend of November tenth and eleventh as well. So.
0: Right. Oh, in well, that case, I, I don't want to uh, just spoil spoil that, but I will. I will just give a sort of brief. Um, Summary of what he said, and um, basically, he's got he's developed this um, this playfield manufacturing system, which he he keeps pretty much to himself. He doesn't want to do not want to spread too much information about exactly how he does it. But he's got these these robotic systems, uh, which um, first of all he's got you know a, a router to so to cut the playfields, but he's also got other robots that have got uh, vision. To them as well, so he was saying what they what they do is they just take a big or well, take all the all the inserts that are required for the playfield, just put them all into a big bin, and a robot can go through and it can pick out the right size, the right colour, the right shape insert from this pile, put place it properly and glue it into the playfield. It's got that amount of vision that can it can detect the shapes and the colours and the sizes of, of everything. Um, and then it goes through a, a, a sanding process, and then he's got robotic clear coating, uh, printing, of course, um, as well, and, and followed by clear coating. And he was talking a little bit about the clear coat process that he uses, and uh, but not too much because uh, that is proprietary. Um, and we didn't show us any pictures because, um, again, you know, he wants to keep this. He has a, a, a very unique, I don't want to use the word very unique, he has a unique uh, manufacturing process and he doesn't want to uh, give away too many details of exactly how it works, but um, he does, does share a lot of information there. So I think he's, um, his, his new company or his new website is Merco Playfields rather than High Class Pinball. And also, mercoplayfields.com is probably the place to, to go to. Uh, the, but the, the, key, the key thing to take away from all this was that um, using this process, he's able to uh, produce very small runs of, of play fields as long as he's got the the CAD drawings for, for the router and right. the artwork. So if you, you can provide him with those, he can do you know, down to individual play fields.
2: If right. you
0: need a replacement play field, you don't have to wait for 5, 10, 50 other people to also want that. If you've got the, 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 the means for him to cut them and to print them,
1: He'll do it, right?
0: Okay. So is um, great. And, and let's for not forget
1: thing. that Rico is doing the playfields for Jersey Jack's uh, uh, pinball. Um, so the he method is. that he found, is playfields are definitely uh, uh, good. He's mean, also doing El- them El- El- for American as well. Him. I would say.
0: Yeah. Oh, he's doing, he's doing some of them for American. American dual source their playfields, so he, he
1: does probably half of them for for them. Right. So um so so he's a um a very reliable playfield maker i would say yeah
0: i think so yeah he's uh, he's got the capacity now with you know
1: he's he's seen the, the demands
0: there and uh, he's invested and uh, and got the got the infrastructure and, and the equipment there and developed various you know bespoke techniques and uh, software and, uh, and built hardware as well this these robotic systems that he's built he's, he he has built so, um, he has that uh, competitive advantage to be able to offer that to not just the big manufacturers, but also to the likes of you and I.
1: Right. So, um, from Mirko, it's very easy to segue into Scott Denisi, as Scott also has a CNC router in his garage. <laughs> Um, which is sort of the same thing. It's not robotized, but still, you get the idea.
0: Mm, yes, Scott, Scott can cut his own play fields, absolutely. Um, he obviously is um, well known for his uh, Total Nuclear Annihilation. Um, Great game. Yeah, which um, is uh, is about to become uh, Spooky Pinball's biggest selling game. Right. And right so. Uh, oh. Right to so, yeah. Yeah. Um, Although, you have to bear in mind that some of those titles um, have been limited fr- fr- limited by Spooky deliberately to a certain number of, of, of um, uh, models or a certain number of machines made. Um, but Scott did announce uh, what the title of his second game would be, which he is working on now, uh, with, with Spooky. It's um, Haunted House Party.
1: Right, but I also read that that was uh, sort of a spoof, so it's well, not that. It's a sort Well, of place yeah, to throw everybody off. So I'm not sure what to believe now.
0: It certainly didn't seem like a to- totally credible title, but you never know. You know, it's w- what's in a title anyway. It's um, it's about the game that really matters. Right. But uh, his second game will be uh, the next spooky game produced once they finished making the Alice Cooper, um, Alice Cooper's
1: um, Nightmare Castle. Um, that seems rather ambitious. Uh, I would say in the sense that I know uh, we've all seen how long it took Scott to develop total nuclear annihilation. Um, And since he kept on working on total nuclear annihilation while um, uh, with updates and and all that kind of stuff, while uh, Alice Cooper had already been announced, um, I tend to think that leaves... uh, maybe not enough time for Scott to finish the game in time before the production of Alice Cooper is over.
0: Okay, well, two things there. Firstly, that um, uh, Spooky have got basically back orders on their games for quite a long time into the future. Right. It'll take them probably most of 2019 to produce all the games that are pre-ordered. Okay, so that leaves a little bit of time for Scott. But also Scott's not working alone in producing his second game. He's, work, he's he's doing some of the aspects of it, like the playfield design, but he's not doing all the software and he's not doing all the art, uh, which he didn't do, obviously, for uh, right, he either. Now, but, but yeah.
2: I'm,
0: well, he he did say who he was working with on each aspect of these
1: things. So that there was a team of about five other people.
0: Sure, but uh, I'm, I'm
1: sure that Scott's in the lead and being a programmer oh, himself, that obviously will mean that um, uh, even when everybody's gone, that he might still be tinkering with some stuff and working on things. And, uh, you know, uh, if he says that someone else is, not, not to take anything away from Scott, in the contrary. Um, but uh, I find it hard to imagine that if he has someone else working on software, that he wouldn't interfere himself if he has an idea and he starts programming it uh, himself instead of letting it being handled by someone else you know if you want to try out something then you will just put it in that's just a, just just a feeling that i i can imagine that that i mean if you have the quality to do something yourself then it's difficult to give it to someone else um
0: Absolutely, that's a that's a skill that needs to be learnt, isn't it? To, uh, to to relinquish control of various aspects yeah. of the game and not not to hang on to it um, totally. But you know that's part of the part of the skill set of a designer. You know, it, the game is not entirely yours. It, it's a team team product, and it has to be if it's going to be made. You know, if you're going to do this in for the long term rather than just a one-off, you you have to you have to uh, take that on board. And I'm sure Scott's up to that.
1: Okay. So, well, it's good to know that Scott is working on the second game and I still doubt whether it will be called Haunted Houseport. Yeah, well... We'll see, we'll see in the future what it will
0: be. Yeah, there um, was a logo shown, but it didn't didn't entirely ring true, shall we say. Let's, uh, let's see what comes out of that. Right, okay.
1: So, um, Keith, Elwin did a seminar on the making of Iron Maiden from Archer?
0: He did, yeah. Um, he showed, showed pictures that, um, well... Uh, I think we we both saw Archer when it was at the Museum of Pinball in Banning, and um, that was the game which eventually ended up as uh, Iron Maiden, um, albeit with quite a few changes along the way. And, um, yeah, Keith basically gave his, an introduction to his experience of, of when he first started getting into pinball, um, making pinball, designing it with his brother Randy, and um, how that led to him getting... That design taken up by Stern and um, and getting the a, a designer job at the company and um, what that what that experience was like actually you know, how it was different from uh, making a a single one off custom game into turning into something which can be mass produced which is um, yeah, quite a different uh, discipline I think um, you can uh, you can appreciate that. It, if you're making one, then you can just keep tweaking it until you're happy with it. But if you've gotta make thousands of them it has everything has to be repeatable and reliable every single time so that was right. that was uh, what Keith was talking about
1: okay um I'm just going through the list of uh, items that you sent me uh, mm-hmm. to discuss um We've well, been discussing basically the, the, most of the seminars uh, at the Pinball Expo. Um, sort of related, um, galloping ghosts.
0: Yeah, no, that was um, it. Was kind of um, tied in with with what Nick Parks was was saying about uh, opening the, his Hall of Fame in Schomburg. Um, Doc Mac, who runs the uh, the world's biggest arcade, the video arcade, I should say, um, in uh, Brookfield, I think it is, in uh, the outskirts of Chicago. Uh, which is you know, quite a sight to 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 see everyone should go there whether you're a pinball or video fan or, or not because it's it's just um, astonishing what what they built there and it's just expanding all the time uh he announced that he was um firstly he was expanding into a fourth i think he said fourth building um it would have got three um and it's just keep building more and more and he said every time they 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 build or they, they move into, a, into another building, their, their um, business expands um, accordingly, and uh, it's always been successful for them. But he also said that uh, their pinball offering had been fairly minimal up till now.
1: Yeah, uh, like okay. uh, less than five games or so.
0: Well, it varied. Sometimes it's, it'd been nine, it'd been down to four. Um, and even when they had nine, it weren't necessarily all working. They had problems with maintenance, so he said, well, what they're going to do is they're going to tackle this head-on, and they're going to open a a pinball arcade, Um, not actually in the same building, but uh, I think it's about two blocks east of where they are now, uh, where they're planning to have, I think, 40 to 50 pinball machines in it. So that becomes
1: like an arcade neighbourhood then.
0: That's right, yeah. Um, In fact, knowing that area as well, there's, uh, there's a very nice barcade just across the street, uh, called Brixies, um, where a good friend of mine, Dan, uh, likes likes to play. And they, they, I think they have eight pinball machines there, and uh, normally there's the very latest games there. So I think they've got Deadpool and um, they had Iron Maiden there, and uh, you know it's one of the popular locations. So, uh, so that whole whole section there is going to be a very very good place to visit, almost as and, almost as good as Schaumburg with the the Hall of Fame. Right. Uh, it's a, it's a bit of a sort of it's it's not um so we say a high class area it's it's kind of like light industrial in many ways the area but um it's it's certainly somewhere that's that's um that's up and coming and um easy to get to on the train as well by the way if you, uh, if you if you don't drive um so i'd recommend yeah that area um to go and see galloping ghost anyway because it's it's a sight to see uh, visit Brixie's across the street play their pinball drink their beer and um before long Uh, You will have the uh, Galloping Ghost Pinball Arcade um, in the same neighborhood as well.
1: Okay. Then, finally, I saved the best for last. (laughs) Ha (laughs) ha! Ha! Yes! Can I get a drum roll? Not from me. Oh, sorry. Um, No, just a sort of uh, internal household announcement. Um, (gasps) I was. There was there it was the drum roll. Pinball Magazine has a new web shop. ching <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, but uh, no, I figured I mentioned it. Um, it's, it's one of the things that, um, uh, as a visitor, you might well you might notice it when when you visit it. But um, actually, it was quite a few headaches for me. Uh, I was forced to upgrade to PHP seven point two and oh, my good i my former web shop software wasn't compatible with that so i needed to upgrade and had uh, originally i had someone to program the web shop for me so i sourced that out and that guy is uh, yeah, i think uh, uh i don't know what happened to him but um, he doesn't <laughs> respond to emails anymore and um well, so I was uh, sort of like, okay, what do I do now? And eventually I found someone new to source it out to. I thank always for try me.
0: paying him, I suppose, and see what yeah, happens. Yeah,
1: I, I had to pay them, but uh, um, that's usually not, not so much uh, the issue. Uh, but I had like two days left bec- before I needed to make a switch, else the webshop would be go, uh, basically would be blank. Uh, but this guy fixed it in like an evening, and uh, so I was very happy with that. Um, so I got a new, improved look on the webshop. Um, the magazines are now in uh, in order as well, with the latest one being uh, the first one shown, and uh, after that come all the posters that are available in the in the webshop. So um, for those who haven't ordered Pinball Magazine number five or any of the other issues, I do recommend everybody visit the pinball magazine webshop see ah beautiful and then place your order and um uh, i still need to tweak a uh, a few things uh but i think it's a huge improvement over uh, uh, compared to what it was especially the checkout process is uh, uh, more common than people are used to and um, so Yeah, looks very nice. I'm just visiting it now. Although I do notice that People Magazine number
0: five it says, "If you're in the US, may want to order it through Amazon." Is that still the case or not? No, no. I should take that down.
1: Okay. Oh right. Okay.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for reminding me of that. I will take it down. If you want to order People Magazine number five in the US, do not order it through Amazon. No, order it
1: through this new web shop. It's not available on Amazon and uh, we covered that in the past. Amazon Mm. is just charging too many fees. It would be more expensive with them than uh, even with me. And in the meantime, I also have uh, uh, Rob Anthony of Pinball Classics and Steve Young of uh, the Pinball Resource, both offering Pinball Magazine number five. And, um, as far as I can tell, uh, they're both very happy in doing so. Uh, Steve Young has been uh, reordering. Uh, he had no idea how, it, how well it would do, and he's been ordering uh, more copies. So I guess that, that, that's a good
0: sign. Good. Okay. Well, that's um, that's the, the biggest news out, out of the way. Um do you want to talk about what's
1: happening at uh, Dutch Pinball at the moment? Uh, while right. we're talking oh, All good things good. Dutch. Yeah. Um, well, we mentioned uh, it briefly, I think. Um, there was something going on, but I wanted to wait for Dutch Pinball to make an official announcement. And um, that announcement came in the form of a newsletter. Um, it's not the news what people may have been expecting. It actually, there have been news in a completely different category because obviously Dutch Pimble has their uh, uh, court case uh, or it's supposed to go to court with their former contract manufacturer, uh, ARA or ARA, whatever you want to call it. Um, but this news was uh, of a completely different uh, uh, order, I would say. Yap um, Nauta, who is uh, one of the two owners of Dutch Pimble, has been diagnosed with throat cancer and he has been undergoing chemo treatment for the past two months i'd say um by now he should be uh the the thera- the chemotherapy should be uh, over if everything went uh as as they scheduled it and uh but obviously he's still recovering and um all I can say is that I, I, uh, they were in a, uh, a rather early stage uh, of discovering uh, this cancer, and um, all I can hope is that they are able to treat Yap well and that he will get well soon. Absolutely, I'm sure we all all wish Yap um, the very best and a uh, full
0: recovery from uh, what's a particularly nasty not a nasty disease but also a nasty uh, treatment I'd have to go through as well right chemotherapy is pretty
1: horrible and um obviously this is uh, uh delaying um uh, the, the, the the ongoing um uh the, the the production of the big lebowski even more but um well it just seems like these guys get basically thrown everything in their way uh to prevent them from moving forward and uh, this is obviously a tough one but um being dutch uh, they're tough guys and um i'm still confident that they can uh move forward and hopefully we'll see them succeed in eventually making these games yeah absolutely and it's getting, not going at-
0: them out to the buyers but not, um yeah. but it's uh, it's priorities at the moment, and and I thought we all uh, understand that yeah. uh, that their their thoughts and their their, their concentrations are, are elsewhere at the moment.
1: Right. So um, I think we've covered everything that we. Did.
0: Uh, I think there's one more thing we can we can mention about uh, multimorphic. Oh right. Uh, this oh, this last that. couple of weeks. Um, yeah. They they obviously they got their their multimorphic P3 platform, right. which yeah. um, which. This is the host or the the platform which uh, a number of other games
1: run, such as Le- Lexi Night Speed, um, Cosmic Kart Racing. Cosmic Kart
0: Racing, yeah.
1: And, okay, um, a couple of smaller games that use actually the same playfields as those two. Uh, yeah,
0: Callan Lagoon and um, and quite a few others as well, which uh, rocks and uh, I can't remember them all, but there's yes, there's, there's yes. Quite, a, quite a number of different I games. But they, they have
1: up to ten games on that platform right now. Yes, it's uh, it's a very, very impressive system.
0: Right. And,
1: and they... Surprisingly, they were not at Finball Expo because... They were not,
0: no. No. Because they were at Houston,
1: weren't they? Yes. And what uh, were they doing there? Um, basically, they revealed new cabinet artwork um, for Lexi Lightspeed and for Cosmic Card Racing. I think... I'm not sure whether they hired a different artist, but... Um, but they went with uh, more brighter colours, um, and uh, uh, which gave the uh, the game probably a, a more of a pinball type of look.
0: Yeah, I, I, I quite liked it. I have to say, well, both of them. I thought they were they were improvements to my eye, but. Uh, I guess I probably got used to the to the previous very detailed sort of right. um, almost pen drawing style of the of the earlier um, Lexi Light Speed design. Right. Uh, so,
1: they also uh, uh, released code updates, and um, um, what I don't know um, for sure, or what I'm actually curious about, is whether they um, improved the art on the LCD in the game as well uh, during gameplay. But um, that's something I will look uh, look into. But I thought it's. Uh, thank you for for bringing it up because I thought we were there. But okay, and then another trick came out of the head. Um, <laughs> As always. <laughs> so, but but no, it's good to see that they are still uh, developing their. Um, um, their platform and uh, upgrading their uh, current games, and let not let's not forget that Multimorphic has uh, is is one of the few companies that uh, had orders for games and fulfilled every one of them, which can't yeah. be said for every PIMOL company, sadly. Yes, yeah, so at the same time they're also obviously
0: producing their uh, their P P Rock and P three Rock systems and boards for uh, other manufacturers as well. Right.
1: There's like up to five companies already using their platform. So, yeah. So kudos to Jerry and the
0: whole team there for, uh, for being a very successful pinball manufacturer and yeah. designer.
1: Yeah. So, and obviously they were not at Expo because they were at the Houston Arcade Expo, which was the same weekend. Um, and it's, it's much more local to them than uh, Chicago is.
0: Right. based in Austin.
1: Right. So, um and I look forward to seeing Jerry and his up uh, upgraded games in uh, Texas.
0: Absolutely. Not long now. Yeah. 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 Or, uh, yeah, I've, five more I've months.
1: Stopped, I've stopped yeah. booking flights. Exactly. Yeah. I can already, uh, I sort of have to make my reservation at heart eight, I guess.
0: <laughs> well, for every night. Uh, oh, you bet, yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what do you mean?
0: Are there other restaurants? I should say for for breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day. I wouldn't say no. I'll bet you wouldn't. Okay. Well, I think that, that brings us to uh, the end of this particular
1: monthly roundup. Right. So... Um... Uh, well, yeah, well, thank you for your uh, um, uh, expo report, both on this show as well as your own, uh, on your own website, uh, pinballnews.com. Oh, you're very welcome. It was uh, a v- very entertaining and uh, informative
0: um, show, as, as it always is. And, uh, and I hope everybody else who went or, uh, wh- uh, or who saw it online um, in- enjoyed it too.
1: Right, right. okay. So um, we'll be back next month with a new update um, bringing you the news of November. So Mm -hmm. until then, um, bye-bye for now. Bye-bye.